what a, what a hopeful message this Memorial Day weekend. Because um, as we take the time off this weekend to um, commemorate and remember those who have gone and fought for our country, for freedom, for um, liberty, for our right to be here, it comes with a sense of sadness because we know that's not the way that it was meant to be, that we, had, that we have to fight for that. But we, we have a hope. We have a hope in the future. We have a hope that, that one, thing, one day all things will be made new. And that's, that's the hope of this weekend. That's why we take time to commemorate. Um, and so, yeah, I'd encourage you to take the time to, to especially tomorrow, to reflect and to commemorate. And, and this weekend, it's all about remembrance, really. Uh, and I was... As I was asked to preach this weekend and was thinking about what to talk about, the idea of remembrance kept coming to my mind because that's, that's what we do. We remember, we remember those who, who are no longer with us, who fought and who served. And as I was thinking about that, I, I, it's an obvious answer perhaps to the question, but I thought, why do we do that? We often don't think about why we remember, why we take time, why we pause to remember. But we do it all the time, and that's a common thing for us to do. But I still wonder why, and I think we would benefit if we took the time to, to think about why it is we remember. What, what is the God-given reason that we, as humans, take time to remember um, and to reflect? And I think that we'll have some good reasons that come out of Scripture this morning for why it is that we remember and I mean, you, you don't, I don't think I have to convince you too hard that we do, we take time to remember often. I mean, look at our holidays. Our holidays are almost always about remembering something. Uh, President's Day, not that that's the biggest holiday that we celebrate, but President's Day, we remember the presidents who have gone before us. Independence Day, we remember um, the Revolutionary War, the, the Declaration of Independence that founded this nation. You move into... Thanksgiving, we're remembering and thanking God for all the good things that he's done. Christmas, we remember and we, we, we think back to the birth of Jesus. Easter, we remember and we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Our, our calendar is full of these moments to pause and to remember. Birthdays, anniversaries, they're all about remembering. And we take time often to, to, to pause and to remember. And that's a good thing for us to do. And honestly, though, we're not even the best culture at remembering. <laughs> but we do it a lot. I mean, if you look, look, look into the Jewish culture, and, and we're going to be talking about the nation of Israel this morning, so I kinda, that, that's kind of what made the connection in my mind. The Jewish culture is full and rich with times of remembrance. And, I mean, there's, there's arguments to be made about how they have strayed from the original purpose of those things. But if you look at the Jewish calendar and all of the holidays, the, the holidays, the the, the days established by God for purposes of remembrance and for, for community to come together, even on a weekly basis, Sabbath, Shabbat, is a powerful reminder and remembrance of the fact that on the seventh day, God rested and therefore has called us to rest. And so that, that if you're interested in, in, think, in looking at a culture that is full of times of remembrance, that's an interesting one to look at, to study the all the different holidays, and I'm not an expert, so I'm not even going to try to explain any of them to you, because I would just get myself in trouble. Um, but <laughs> I, I would encourage you to, to study and look at that culture and see 
why do they celebrate all of these different things? And, and often the purpose is for remembrance. Um, and so there's so many reasons we, we pause to remember. And I, I want to do, I really want to spend time on, on thinking about that this morning. But as I was thinking about remembrance, I also thought that, that there's kind of some pitfalls to remembrance. There's some traps that we walk into sometimes, un, unknowingly, sometimes maybe knowingly, that cause us some problems. And I think we do well to talk about that just for a second this morning. First off, and probably most obviously, a trap in the, in the rhythm of remembrance is forgetting. Does that, that make sense? I'm not, taking too, I'm not taking too big of a leap there, am I? To say that <laughs> forgetting is a trap, right? We are, for as good as we are at remembering, we are better if, or we are as good if not better at forgetting things. I mean, how many of you within the last week have, have walked into a room and totally forgotten why you walked in there? That happens to me probably 10 times a day. <laughs> or this morning. I was doing circles in the office this morning as I was printing my notes and printing the notes for you to have this morning because I forgot what I was doing. And I, <laughs> I didn't even realize that until just now that it's just a common thing. We forget so often. Um, and there's something about walking into a room where you just forget why you were in there. But we can be very forgetful people. I, I pride myself sometimes on being someone who has a very strong memory. Um, but, and, and I'm... And I, and I still have problems forgetting things, and I've noticed my memory is already starting to go, so I think I'm going to be in trouble later on in life. I, you're, you're going to have to help me get around, probably, because I, already I'm starting to forget things. In college, I seriously prided myself on my memory. My first semester in college, um, as I was going and I had a lot of expectations and deadlines, I was like, you know, I should probably like, make to-do lists, but I'm like, ah, I'll figure it out. And, and if you, in college, you have dates, you have deadlines, you have assignments that you have to do on time in order to make it in college. And so I, I was like, I can figure it out. I can just sit down at my desk and remember all of the assignments that I have to do this week. And for, surprisingly, I don't know how, it worked for a while. It worked that way where I could just sit down at my desk and think, think through my classes, what do I have to do in that class? What do I have to do in that class? That model of doing homework is not advisable. Because soon, you let some things slip and you forget some of your assignments. And it didn't take me more than two or three semesters to start missing assignments, which I hate to do personally. And then it really hit me one day when I, when I missed one too many assignments and it cost me a letter grade. And I, all I had to do was like, it was just participation basically. And I missed an assignment and it cost me a letter grade. And I realized, you know, my memory may not be as good as I think. I, I, I might be thinking a little too highly of my own ability to remember things. And I, I think we all are, can be very forgetful. Sometimes, and it's not that we do it on purpose necessarily, but sometimes we're forgetful because it's easier to not remember things and to not take time to do it because we get busy, because it's just there's so many things to remember. And so I've started doing a lot more to-do lists, and that's been helpful, but sometimes I forget to look at my to-do list, and that's not helpful at all. Um, but forgetting is a definite trap as we talk about remembrance. And the other trap, I think, which is even, even more dangerous, is misremembering. Misremembering things. Um, there was a study that was done a few years ago, and they were kind of, it was, it was a multi-purpose study, but one of the things that they were, they were doing, they were interviewing people, and they were seeing how easily they could manipulate people's memory, which is kind of a scary thing to think about. 
But they showed that in their, in their respondents to their, to their interviews, these people came in for multiple interviews. Over the course of just three interviews, these people were able to convince 70% of the people being interviewed that they had been a part of some minor crime at some point in their past. And you'd think that would be a hard memory to plant, but they convinced 70% of people who had not been a part of a minor crime, like theft or even assault, like getting in a fight where police got involved. They were able to convince 70% of people that they had committed some sort of crime like that that required police involvement, and they had not. And that's kind of, I'd be like, there's no way you could convince me of that. But then maybe it's possible. We can misremember things. They, they would take an existing memory and, and change it a little bit and convince people of something that wasn't necessarily true. And that's kind of scary, and that's kind of dangerous to the fact that we can misremember things. I mean, per, personally, this, this year, weather-wise, I love watching the weather, and I love, love tracking like records and things like that. This year has been kind of a record-breaking, not in a good way, year for our area, right? <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. Do you remember all the snow we had in February? Snowiest February in, in, in history by, by quite a bit. Um, and then that snow then led to lots of melting and rain rapidly, which led to the river flooding a lot higher than it normally does. And it's been a record-breaking year in some ways. It's not like it's the highest the river's ever flooded, but this year has been not normal. But as I've been talking to people just around the community, since last year also we had a lot of snow and the river also flooded, people are like, oh, this is normal. This happens every year. It does not. <laughs> that is for sure. It does not happen every year. Um, the snow that we've had, like April, it snowed in April quite a bit. And people are like, well, it always snows in April. No, it doesn't. Most of the time it doesn't, in fact. But the last two years, we've had big snowstorms in April. And so, but if you look back at the records, this has been a far abnormal year. And last year was also abnormal. But as we look at the present and we look at last year, we think, well, this must just be the way it always is. The height of this river crest that we had a few, uh, maybe a month or two ago when it reached its peak was the highest since 2014. And the 2014, to get a higher crest, you have to go all the way back to 2010. And then before that, you have to go like all the way back to the early 2000s. So this is like every five, six, seven years that the river gets this high. And it's the first time I think that the athletic park levy actually had to, was about to be breached since it was built five years ago. And it's, it's, it's crazy amount of flooding. But if you talk to people like, well, the river always floods this high. And it's just always that way. And it's, it's not. But we remember it differently than it really was. And the reason for that, I, who knows exactly why it is that way, but our minds work in interesting ways. And if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of misremembering things or remembering the details that maybe weren't as important as the, the real details or we attribute things to, to different reasons. And, and that's kind of scary. And so we have to think about why we remember and, and avoid those traps as we do. Um, but this morning, I don't want to just keep talking about the weather in my school history. Let's, let's dive into God's word together this morning. Uh, Joshua chapter 4 is where I want to dwell for a while this morning. And this passage, it's not necessarily wholly unique in the Old Testament. There, there's, there's several passages like this. But as I thought about remembrance, this one comes to the top of my mind as a perfect example 
of why we are called to remember by God. Why God is the one who calls us to remember. And so I want to, you probably haven't been too immersed in the, uh, in the history of the Exodus and, and Joshua recently. So I'm just going to give you a quick refresher on what's happening in the context of this passage this morning. So that from Exodus to Deuteronomy, you have the nation of Israel, um, be, one, being freed from captivity in Egypt by God through Moses and Aaron, and then entering into the wilderness and, and making their way to the promised land. And then as a result of sin and grumbling and strife, uh, they spent 40 years in the wilderness making their way to the promised land. Um, and, and they eventually were able to enter the promised land once that generation, that sinful generation, had passed on. And once Moses, who also had committed a sin against God and was barred from entry into the promised land, had passed away. So at the end of Deuteronomy, in the beginning of Joshua, we get the, the account that Moses has finally died. He died on the east side of the Jordan River, awaiting entry into the promised land. So like he could see, he could see the promised land. He could see the land that they had been waiting for, the land that they had been wanting to go to. And so, but because of his sin, he was unable to enter. So in, in, in Joshua chapter 1, we see Joshua being commissioned and stepping into the new role as leader of the nation of Israel. And that's in that context, in the, in the commissioning of Joshua and in, in God's instructions to Joshua, you get Joshua 1.9, which has often been my favorite verse throughout my life. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? That's where that verse comes into context, just, just so you know. Um, but Joshua is stepping into his role as the leader of the nation of Israel. Then in Joshua chapter 2, kind of mirroring what had happened earlier, Joshua sends spies across the river into the promised land to see what's going on over there. And this, is, this isn't the first time they spent, sent spies into the promised land. The first time, back in Numbers chapter 13, if you remember, they sent 12 spies into the promised land. Um, Ten came back and were terrified and frightened. And Caleb and Joshua were the two that came back and were um, saying that it was time to enter. And I, I always like that story because Caleb was one of the good ones. And just, just throwing that out there. I'm assuming that's why my parents named me Caleb. Um, but so, they, so in Joshua chapter 2, that's mirrored again. And, and Joshua sends two spies into the promised land. They spend a lot of time in Jericho. You get the story with, with Rahab in, in Jericho. And then when they come back, they give the report that it's time that the people are terrified of this advancing nation of Israel and that it's time for them to enter and claim the promised land. And so, in Joshua chapter 3, they finally, finally, after 40 years in the wilderness, after hundreds of years in captivity in Egypt, they finally are returning to the land that God has promised to them. And I actually just want to read an excerpt from Joshua um, 3 that kind of builds up to our, the passage that we're reading this morning. So starting in verse 14 of Joshua chapter 3, the nation of Israel is getting ready to cross the Jordan River. And here's what they say. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the 
drink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters came down from above, stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down toward the sea of, of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So you, there's this obstacle between Israel and entering the Promised Land, the Jordan River. And now we, we were in Israel, and the Jordan River is not necessarily like the most fierce river in the world. And it was kind of dry when we were there, so we were looking at it like, that doesn't look that hard. But there's the note that it was during flood stage. Some experts kind of estimate it was maybe 100 feet across, 3 to 10 feet deep. That's a, that's a big river to cross thousands of people over. That would take a long time. But there's this miracle that occurs. As the, as the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the place of the presence of God, enter the river, the river stops. A river in flood stage just stops. Can you imagine walking out into the Minnesota River down there during flood stage right now, and the river just stops up back at Jordan? Well, that's kind of ironic, but stops back up at Jordan. <laughs> Can you imagine that happening? That would make news for sure. <laughs> hey, everyone's just crossing the river on dry ground. That doesn't happen. That is not a common occurrence for a river, a, a flowing river of any size to just stop and for it to flood up, upstream. That doesn't just happen, does it? That's, that's not a common occurrence. If, that's, if you've seen that happen, let me know. But it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And as, as, the, as the priests enter the river, they are walking across on dry ground, and the whole nation is able to pass through freely. It's much like the, the parting of the Red Sea, which had happened earlier, but this time, them crossing the Jordan River, was them entering into the long, long-awaited promised land. So this is a momentous occasion. This isn't something to just, oh, oh yeah, we crossed the Jordan, now we're in the promised land, let's move on. This is something that is a cause for pause and remembrance. And that's what we see in the main, in the main passage I want to spend time on in, in Joshua 4. So let me read on in Joshua 4, and we'll see what God's instructions were to Joshua, and to the people, now that they are in the promised land. So beginning in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 4, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord." When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. 
and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them on with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. We'll stop there for the time being. So if you read, if you read this, and as you listen to me read this, you probably noticed there was a bit of repetition going on. This is common in, in Old Testament literature. It's, a, it's kind of a repetition, well, one, for the sake of memory, and for the sake of getting the story right, and for the sake of, of emphasizing some points. And so we see this pattern established um, in, the, in this passage. In verses 2 to 3, we see God's instructions to Joshua. God instructed Joshua that you are to, to have 12 men enter um, the, the Jordan River, and they are to take up stones, and they are to take them with them to the place where you are to dwell. So we have God instructing Joshua. Then in verses 4 to 7, Joshua relays the instructions to the men, the 12 men that actually had been selected earlier in chapter 3. God had told him to, to take one man from each tribe. And so they had been waiting for what their instructions. And so now in verse um, 4 to 7, Joshua gives these instructions to them finally. And he relays the instructions that God had given them. And then the third part, the third repetition, we see the fulfillment of the instructions as the, as the men obey Joshua. They enter the Jordan River. They take 12 stones with them to the place where they're going to stay on the opposite side of the Jordan River. And then we also see Joshua, um, the, those stones, we're going to see later that they set them up as, as a memorial for what God had done. It's an important thing for them to do. But later on, um, well, as this was happening, Joshua sets up a secondary memorial in the midst of the Jordan River. He takes 12 stones, one representing each of the tribes of Israel, and establishes a monument, a memorial in the midst of the Jordan River where the waters, once the river returns, will flow. Um, and so, I mean, we, we kind of learned from this. that It says that that memorial stood there to this day, not to today, but to when this was written. So 20, 30, 40 years maybe um, after that moment. Those stones must have been big stones, that, for one thing. This wasn't a small little, small little pebbles that he just set up in the, in the riverbed of the Jordan. These were big stones that he set up, strong enough to withstand a river at flood stage for quite a while. And now, who knows how long those stones lasted. But the point is that, that in both of these memorials, they are establishing and they are remembering what has occurred. And that's an important thing for them to do. And so the instructions weren't, weren't cryptic. They were very clear. They were very clear. You were to take 12 stones and you were to establish them as a memorial. And this type of memorial, these stones, um, they were pretty common at this period in history. Um, some, some commentators said in the more primitive times they would establish stones. But back then they didn't have a, a whole lot more options for memorials. And we still make memorials out of stone. They're just more refined and they're and, and they, we have lots of more carvings on them. But this, these, this type of memorial, it wasn't easy to miss these large stones. These aren't just some small stones that they take. This memorial was important, and it was something that people around them would recognize, which, which is an important note for later. So we see this instruction, 
and it's repeated, and it's passed on, and it's fulfilled. And that's a nice pattern that we see happening here in Joshua chapter 4. And, and the purpose of this memorial is really what I want to focus on this morning. What is the purpose of this memorial? I mean, they set up stones, and, and it's to commemorate the moment, but why? Why is it so important? And we get a hint of that in the, in the verses we just read, where Joshua, when he's relaying the instructions, said, when your children ask in times to come, what do all these stones mean? Then you shall tell them what has happened here, that the, rivers, the river Jordan, the waters were cut off, and the nation of Israel was able to walk across on dry land. So we kind of get a clue there. But we really get this repeated again and expounded on later on in the passage. And so we're going to skip down a little ways in Joshua chapter 4 to learn a little bit more about the purpose of this memorial, of this moment that they took to set aside and to remember what happened. So in verse 15 is where we're going to pick it up in chapter 4. And it says this, And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the, pro all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So we get the purpose of this remembrance in those verses. I don't know if you see it, but, but first let me just say that, that in, in the early verses of what I just read, we see the conclusion of the miracle. The people have passed over the priests. It's time for them to leave the river. And as soon as the ark exits the river, the, the river returns to its normal state. Um, just to... to Remind them, yeah, this wasn't just a, something weird happening upstream. This was God's presence causing this miracle to happen. This was God stopping up the river and letting it go once you're past. It's a powerful thing. And it's a powerful reminder of that. And so they witnessed it. I mean, every person in the nation of Israel witnessed this miracle. Because they all crossed over the river. They all crossed the Jordan River banks. They, they walked right through the riverbed on dry ground. That is something that everyone that had crossed the Jordan River, everyone witnessed that. Everyone knew that it was God who had done this because as they passed by, as they crossed the river, they passed right by the Ark of the Covenant. And, and in, in a portion of this passage, it says that they kind of hurried past because it's the presence of God. And so you'd, you don't want to take too much time next to that because God is powerful. He's currently holding the river back for you. I mean, if I knew a river was stopped, I would probably hurry across too. Just <laughs> don't let it go while I'm in the middle. That would <laughs> be kind of scary. Um, 
But we see this powerful miracle unfolding. And so when it comes to the purpose, and when it comes, and as Joshua sets up this memorial at Gilgal on the border of Jericho, which that's important for later to know, as Joshua sets this up, he tells all the people why it is that we have this memorial here. And the, there's two purposes in it. The first in verses 22 to 23 is for them in future gener- that, this generation and future generations to remember what God has done. That purpose is clear. It's, he says that when children ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Which, logical question, you're walking by the Jordan River. Why is there a pile of stones there? That doesn't look like a naturally occurring feature. And it, it's, the purpose of this memorial is to draw attention to what happened. And, for the, and so when that conversation inevitably happens, they're able to say, God did a miracle right here. He, cro- he allowed us to cross the Jordan River on dry land. And so this is meant to be a truth that is passed on from generation to generation to remember the great works that God has done. And, and, and I'm assuming in those conversations as they talk about crossing over in the dry land that these, these parents are able to recount all the other miracles that they witnessed in the wilderness. God providing food for them. The, the stories of how they were freed from Egypt and led to the promised land. This is kind of a gateway conversation for that to happen. A physical reminder of what God has done and a physical opportunity for parents to tell their kids all of the good things that God has done for them, all of the miracles that he has done. And so that purpose is clear. The purpose is for remembrance. But the second purpose I found interesting, and I wasn't expecting it as I read this passage. But in verse 24, it says, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that, you may, fear the, that they, you may fear the Lord your God forever. So the second purpose of Israel remembering is to actually be a testimony to the peoples of the earth. I found that, I was une, that was unexpected to me, but it makes sense. Not only is this to encourage and, and strengthen future generations of, of Israel, but this was meant to be a testimony and a statement to the nations surrounding them. And there's two ways you could take this statement. On the one hand, this memorial was set up on the edge of Jericho. And we know what's about to happen in Joshua as they begin the conquest of the promised land, as they take the land that God has promised them, as they fulfill, as God fulfills his covenant with his people and gives his people his land for them. And so this conquest is about to take place. And Jericho, it's, it's kind of hard to miss this large nation coming right up to your doorstep. The spies reported that they were already terrified of the people coming. And now you're telling, I'm assuming this is what they're saying, now you're telling me that this nation with 40,000 warriors just crossed the Jordan River on dry ground? That's intimidating. That is proof that their God, the God of Israel, our God is not um, a weak God. And they were already afraid of that. And I think this memorial kind of just pushes them over the edge. It is, a, it is right there. It is a statement that God 
is powerful. And he is worthy of our praise and, and fear, the fear of the Lord. And so there's that way you can take it. And I think that is, is a, a big way in which this was intended. But at the same time, this is also a, a testimony and a, a gospel, if you will, the, the early seeds of the gospel for the nations of the earth. After all, God's intention in establishing his people was so that through his people, redemption might be brought to the world. And we see that played out in the, in the, in the pages of this book, that redemption is being brought to the peoples of the earth. And so this is a, is a testimony of that power and the power of God and the, and the worthiness of God to follow. And it's a testimony for the peoples of the earth to see and to learn about who God is. So I think that's an important note for us this morning. The purposes of their remembrance, the, the reason they were called to remembrance was one, to remember what God has done, but two, to be a testimony to the peoples of the earth. It's a powerful reminder. And so I, there's so much that I could talk about out of this passage. I'd encourage you to spend more time in it. I, I enjoy it because I really enjoy the Old Testament history and the history of Israel and um, just their establishment as a nation. This is a fascinating story, and this is a fascinating chapter in that story. But I was left wondering as I, as I was reading this, was what today, as we look back at this story, and, and this weekend as we, as we step into the Memorial Day season, what is it that we can learn from the people of Israel in this story that is helpful to us in our own patterns and rhythms of remembrance? Because it's clear the purpose of the remembrance here. But how do we, how do, we do that? And, and in one way, I think we can learn from Israel's negative example. I hate to always get down on Israel, but they have a lot of problems in Old Testament passages. I, the book of Judges, for instance, is a, one long telling of the problems of sin in Israel. And actually, this kind of... To go back to what I was talking about earlier with, with the traps of remembrance, we actually see those traps played out in the history of Israel, the forgetting and the misremembering. Um, in Judges chapter 2, you can turn there if you want, or, or just listen as I read it. In Judges chapter 2, we see Israel starting to forget. Um, and so in 2... Let's see, I want to start in verse 10. Um, Joshua has just passed away. He had led Israel for quite some time. And he, had, um, he died at a good old age. And, and he had led faithfully. And the people had followed faithfully. And they had and they claimed the land. But right away, Judges chapter 10, or chapter 2, verse 10. Here's what we get. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. One generation. The purpose of remembrance in Joshua chapter 4 was to teach this generation of the good works and power of God and in one generation, already they failed. 
All it took was one generation to forget and to lose sight of that initial calling. So if Israel, these people who, who witnessed the power of God, failed at remembering, I think we need to be cautious of that. We need to be cautious of forgetting to recount the goodness of God and the good things that he has done in our life. The testimony of God's work in us. We can't forget that. It causes so much problem. And if you read through the book of Judges, this problem is played out over and over and over again. Time after time, God rescues Israel. And time after time, they forget and they step back into their old ways and they begin worshiping false gods. We can't do that. We can't forget. We can't let the truths of God's word be an afterthought. They need to be a prominent part of our lives that we remember. Um, another lesson from the story of Israel's history is, is the misremembering. Um, and that, for that, I, I found in 1 Samuel chapter 4, we get another testimony to what happens. And so, if you remember in the, in the crossing of the Jordan River, the Ark of the Covenant was a prominent part of that event. And, and at that time, it was, it was, the purpose of the Ark was more clearly known. It was, it was to be placed in the Holy of Holies. It was to be the place of God's presence dwelling among his people. So that was a holy object that represented God's presence. Over time, over the book of Judges and into 1 Samuel, we see the people of Israel kind of misremembering the purpose of the ark. And so in 1 Samuel 4, verse 3, is where I'm just going to read that verse. The, the people of Israel have just been defeated by the Philistines, and they're wondering why God has abandoned them. And so this is what they do. And when the troops came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. They kind of misremembered the purpose of the Ark. They were viewing it more as a good luck charm, kind of, if you would, a powerful object that they could bring out as kind of their, their ace up their sleeve to say, boom, we got it. And if you read on in, in the next verses, it doesn't work very well. Israel is defeated. The Ark of the Covenant is taken into Philistine captivity, and they, they've lost it. And it's because they did not remember the purpose of the Ark, the purpose of the Ark, and they, they, their memory was wrong about it. They, they, maybe they thought back to this crossing of the Jordan River and thought, well, the Ark of the Covenant parted the waters for us. So let's bring the Ark of the Covenant out into battle and that will defeat our enemies. And it's just a subtle, it's a subtle twisting of what happened and it cost them. It cost them the battle, it cost them the Ark, and it eventually comes back, not by their power, <laughs> And that's a really funny story if you ever want to read it. What happened with the ark? They kind of passed it around among the Philistines because it kept causing problems in their cities. Um, I really enjoy that story. It's kind of, it's kind of humorous. Um, so I'd encourage you to read that if you are interested in this Old Testament story. But 
The point is that they misremembered. They forgot the original intention, and it cost them. And we can't do that either. So those, those are some negative encouragements from the, the history of Israel. Um, but but here's, here's what I want to leave you with this morning. The purpose of remembrance for Israel in, in Joshua chapter 4 and for us today is not to, to dwell in the past, not to think, oh, it was so much better in the good old days, not to, not to miss what's going on around us because of, of what we are missing in the past. The point of remembrance is to honor and to remember what happened and for that to encourage us and help us move forward together in our faith, in our church, in our community, in our nation. The purpose of remembrance has to be moving forward. Not to forget, but to honor what has happened in the past and let that move us. The purpose of remembering in Joshua chapter 4 was for the nation of Israel to remember the power of God and with that power of God, remembering that that is with them heading into the promised land and taking that land that God has promised them. It was that remembrance was to encourage future generations. It was to keep God at the forefront for generations and generations to come. And that, I think, is the ultimate goal when we remember. When we pause, when we take time to remember, we're not, we're not stepping back into the past and, and trying to go back to those days, but we are remembering those days and honoring them for what they were, for what God has done, and using that as, as fuel, encouragement, confidence to move forward to what God is calling us to do now. And I think that is the ultimate goal. So I, I hope that this Memorial Day weekend we can take that encouragement and we can use that. Um, and so uh, I invite the worship team up and I'm just going to close this message in a time of prayer.